0: Welcome
1: to Lo-Fi Lectionary! Hey everyone and welcome here to uh, Lo-Fi Lectionary, the kitchen episode for both Luke's 2 and 10. It's going to be a double episode, um, but I don't think it's going to be terribly long because I tried to keep my notes real short. But oh my gosh, it's uh, it's good to be back here in the studio. I'm trying out the new home studio today. Um, so let me know if you hear any, any major differences in the sound or something like that. But um, it's good to be here. I'm excited to talk about these two chapters with you. Uh, something very strange happened earlier this week, though. I, I stepped on stage at Live Aid. The people gave and the poor got paid. So that was cool. Um Thank you, John Chafee, uh, for doing the last episode, for doing the big episode on Luke 11. It was awesome. I've gotten really great feedback about it. Um, go, and if you liked it, let John know how great of a job he did. I think he did fantastic, hoping he can come back and either do a different episode in the future or um, I have an idea to start doing some some interview format episodes and things like that. I'd love to have him be one of the persons I get to talk to. That would be great. If you are just joining uh, this podcast for possibly the first time, or you're just kind of getting into it. Maybe you came over from a different podcast or something. This is a kitchen episode. So the main episodes of Lo-Fi Lectionary, we go over, we go through the text and we tell the story as well as we can. We answer our three Lo-Fi questions. What is God like? What are people like in the story? And why might people carry the story and tell it over a long period of time and think that the story is important? In the kitchen episodes uh because i try and keep my personal thoughts as much as possible out of the regular episodes uh we get personal in the kitchen uh so if you came over to my house and we were hanging out you know we're having an 80s board game night at my house tonight so you might come over and we play games in the living room and you hang out and some of you would probably leave at a certain time but maybe some of you would stick around for a while and we would end up in the kitchen cleaning all the dishes and chatting over some more personal matters, sharing a little bit more of our lives uh, together. And that's what these kitchen episodes are meant to be. It's me kind of sharing my little personal reflections on it. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the story. The stories that you get in Luke 11 and 12, are they your story in any way? The God that we meet or is introduced by Luke, whether you even believe in God or not, is does that sound like how your experience has been with the world. You know, the the people that we met and what they are like in Luke 10 and 11. Are are they like the people that you know and are they like you in any way? Let's dig into that together. I have some thoughts for us about those last few chapters. Um, I'm going to focus on mainly two stories. The first is that Good Samaritan story in Luke 10. And in case you forgot it, let me pull it up here. Um, Give me one second. And... I will read it. It goes like this in my version of the text. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance there was a priest going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The man said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Oh, I it's I I love the story. I mean, it's a famous Bible passage. I mean, even if you didn't grow up going to church or reading the Bible, you might have heard the phrase "good Samaritan," you know, somewhere. If if you're a Simpsons fan, you've you've uh, seen the episode where Bart has to go stay at the Flanders house for a while, and they're like, "What game do you want to play?" And the kids go, "Good Samaritan," and they have to play like this lousy Christian version of a board game. And um, oh man, I always think about that whenever I read the story because I love the Simpsons, but. It's a great story and um I love the way Jesus uses this story to kind of disarm and change the conversation. It's it's very um it's very Don Draper. If you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. And Jesus takes this conversation that's going one way and he flips it around the other way. Um and there's a couple just really interesting things about it. I think I mentioned this back um in the full chapter episode where I think it's interesting that Jesus chooses to use a Samaritan as a hero. Now that would have been interesting in the first place, just because he was speaking to a Jewish audience and he's making their enemy, the, these people that they had a feud with, the hero of the story. But also the fact that Jesus is making Samaritans the hero in the story is interesting just in itself for Jesus's sake, because just it's either earlier in that chapter in 10 or or in Luke 9 The Samaritans won't let Jesus pass through their town. Like, they choose to not offer him hospitality. Like, they choose, which would have been an offensive act. You know what I mean? Like, they're choosing to be his enemies. And Jesus is here saying, I am choosing for you to be the heroes. Like, Jesus feels empowered to say, you guys can be my enemies. You guys can act like you want to be my enemies if you want to, but I refuse to accept you as such. I think that's really fascinating, especially if you have this idea that Jesus is God. God then is maybe someone who refuses to let anyone be his enemies or her enemies. That you, I mean, you can act like that, but God just says no to me you you will I will make you I will make you the heroes <laughs> um and that's really interesting and and then moreover I mean so the one in the story is the Samaritan is the righteous one, and when you speak the audience that Jesus was speaking to, like the whole argument I was over who's more righteous, who's more right with God, who's more God's chosen people. And the Samaritans are not the right answer to answer that question. And Jesus here makes them the righteous one. I mean, the the conversation starts out with, you know, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And then Jesus tells a story in which the only one who will inherit eternal life, according to the parameters of the story, are not the Levite and not the priest, but the dirty Samaritan, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like... Like, they're the one who are going to live with God forever. They're going to inherit God's kingdom, you know. Um, Because the answer to the question in the story is, how do you inherit eternal life? It's, will you be merciful? You go be a neighbor. And the only one who's a neighbor in this passage is the Samaritan. And the Samaritan actually uses language that matches up with the same language that is used for God elsewhere in Luke and for Jesus elsewhere in Luke. Like, the Samaritan, as he's leaving the, the hotel, the inn, you know goes to the innkeeper and says here's a bunch of money do whatever you need to do to take care of this person he just like unleashes favor and generosity on like this injured man it says whatever else you need whatever else you spend i will go pay for it like anything like like the kind of generosity on behalf of the samaritan like mirrors god's generosity and favor throughout the whole story of Luke. So the Samaritan is not only doing right as a human being, the Samaritan is kind of the God figure in this story. And Jesus, in choosing who's going to be a God figure, chooses the Samaritan, the person who wants to be his enemy, the person who is the community enemy of his audience. And that's that's just so great. So the the story then illustrates not just like It's not a story that just says, oh, it's important to be merciful. But Jesus then also flips the conversation around at the very end to try and illustrate for these people why it's so hard for them to be merciful. I mean, in the end, at at the beginning of the conversation, the man's question is, well, you know, who is my neighbor? The question for him is, who should I go and love like a neighbor? Which people are the right people? to love, and to show favor and generosity to. There's a human tendency that we have, where when we have something good to give, often the question becomes, who should I give it to? Like, do some people deserve this goodness and some people don't? You know, who or or not even like who deserves it like because of who's my enemy, but like who's not gonna make a mess of this? Who's not gonna be spoiled by this? Who is going who could I trust with this goodness that I have to give? And that's what kind of what the guy asked. To in order to justify himself, he asks, Well, who is my neighbor? Who are the right people to love? And Jesus then tells this parable. And then at the end, he changes the question to Which one was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Oh, that's so good. Like, right? Like Jesus says, like, oh, you're asking the wrong question. I'm going to give you a much better one. Don't focus on who should get what I have to give, who deserves this goodness, which kind of people deserve love and favor and mercy. Instead, ask, am I being a neighbor like the question isn't about them, it's about you and asking yourself whether or not you are being merciful and loving and good and generous. Like remember, like all throughout Jesus' teaching, he says, like, the other people next to you aren't the people that you're supposed to emulate. You go emulate God, and God's primary characteristic is his mercifulness and his goodness and his love and and stuff like that. So he teaches people, don't judge, you know. And here it comes back to the heart of that. It's like your job isn't to be a good human being in a standard in comparison to other human beings. The standard I want you to follow is, can you be like God? And guess what? God loves everybody, you know, like that's so interesting. And it is a better question. You know, there's going to be other places in other gospel stories. There's one where Peter is, is talking with Jesus, and he's like, well, what about this guy? What about, you know, he's talking about one of the other disciples. Like, what about him? What's your plan for him? And Jesus just says, no, 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 no. Yeah, like, he is not your concern. I'm talking to you, you know. Like, figure out what I want you to do, and don't worry about the others. And I think that that's kind of tricky because we want to be a community. We want to be kind of a communal people. But it, it kind of begins with us asking the questions of what kind of person do I want to be. And no matter how people react, like, how am I going to continue to be a certain kind of person in the world? And maybe that's the only way to be like Jesus. Maybe that's the only way to be like God, if you believe in God. Maybe that's the only way to really be loving and merciful is to decide from the get go, I'm going to be willing to share this with everybody and not worry about what they're going to do with it. And maybe not worry about whether or not they deserve it, I'm gonna try and be good to everyone. That's a hard task, but maybe it's a better mission for us. So, the story that we get, it kind of can kind of become our story by just challenging us to ask which question on an average day do I think is guiding my behavior and guiding my like sense of self and guiding my identity and guiding how I see like what my purpose in life is. Is it the question, who is my neighbor? Who deserves to be around me and get what I have to offer? Or is it, am I going to be a neighbor to whoever I meet today? And I think you're going to have two very different lives, depending on which question is your primary question from the get-go. Whew, Luke 10, good stuff. I'm going to take a quick drink of my pineapple drink. Now let's dig into Luke 11. All right. So, um, I have a really kind of personal connection with, um, one of the parts of Luke 11. I'm going to share it with you. Um, and maybe your experience in the world and your reading of the text will match up to it, but it's, this is going to be real kind of Kevin personal. So, um, so there's this story at the beginning of um, Luke 11. It starts off with these two stories about prayer. And first of all, it's these disciples of Jesus go up and ask him, hey, you know, like if you're a teacher, if you're a rabbi, just like John's, you know, as their rabbi taught his disciples to pray, teach us a special way to pray. And this would be a pretty common question. I mean, if you're a disciple of a rabbi, you wanted to do everything your rabbi did. So you'd want to do everything just like them. But what's interesting is they go and ask Jesus for kind of like, His special prayer, you know, like it's it's almost like I wonder if it's asking, like, okay, what's this what's the secret code? What's the Konami code to to connect with God, you know? And then Jesus' response is like, okay, I'll I'll teach you, I'll I'll give you a prayer to pray. And it's so simple. And it's so plain in a sense. I mean, you could break it down to a couple short phrases, like, God, you're good and the world is yours. Help. I'm sorry. Please help. Amen. Like that's kind of it. Like it's very short and sweet. It's not elaborate and there's no like secret code or knowledge to it. It's not like a Gnostic prayer like that. It's, it's just so simple and straightforward. And uh, I think that's kind of remarkable and interesting. And maybe that's trying to teach us something about our, there, there isn't a secret code. It's just like you, you kind of just kind of, if you're a prayerful person, You can keep it short and simple and trust that everything else will be filled in. Um, But then Jesus follows it with this parable. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and read it so we're all on the
0: same page together. Let me pull it up again. And Jesus
1: said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to them, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. So here's the simple premise of this. Um, you, you, someone has come to visit your house late at night and you want to be a good, um, you know, God person, you know, at, at the time of Israel and his audience, you want to offer hospitality. That was part of the law of being a good person. So You need to give them food to eat and a place to stay and stuff like that, but you don't have any food to offer because it's already late, so you can't fire up the oven now. So you go over to your neighbor's house, your other friend, and you're begging for loaves of bread so you can follow God's law of hospitality. I have nothing to set before them. And your friend answers from within their house, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So your friend is already in their little their little ancient Israelite house. So it's like everyone's kind of in in family bed together and to get up and unlock the gate, it probably meant you would wake up everyone in the house. It would be a big disturbance. So you're like no, they're like no. No, go go home, you know, don't bother me. Um Jesus continues I tell you even though they will not get up and give you anything because he is a friend at least because of his persistence he will get up and give him whatever he needs so the story would kind of continue um Jesus doesn't lay it all out but the idea is that like if you keep knocking and banging on the door eventually you can get your friend to give up and give you bread you know so you can go feed your other friend they don't want to but if you're annoying and persistent and loud you can get your friend to get up at night and wake up his children and open the gate and give you some bread. And then Jesus kind of continues on this passage, you know, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, search and find, knock and the door will be opened to you. He then compares this parable to how we should pray to God. Um, everyone who asks or sees and everyone who searches finds, knock and the door will be opened. So he continues language from the parable about knocking and And, and the door being open and being persistent and to keep asking, you know, um, and that, um, so you can read this parable a couple different ways. And I'm going to tell you the way that I read it for most of my life. Um, all of my youth and my childhood, I kind of grew up afraid of God. I think I've talked about that before here and there on the podcast, um, but I kind of grew up afraid of God. I grew up in a, in a kind of church culture. I absorbed a kind of religion from certain places um, where there's this idea that there's right and there's wrong in life. And yes, we will kind of concede that God loves everyone and that he like wants to love everyone. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's not like that God does actively love everyone. You know, it's kind of like well, God wants to love you. You know what I mean? Like, do you see how huh? there's kind of like a little bit of a difference there? But there's right and there's wrong. And and well, God will really only joyfully help or, or bless you or take care of you if you're one of the right people, you know. And if you do the right things and if you do the wrong things, then, you know, God's going to be maybe he'll help you, but he'll be just terribly disappointed, you know, or he'll be upset, but he'll be like reluctantly wanting to help you. Or, you know, it's this kind of idea that like, I grew up in a church culture that that said like, oh, if you kind of pray the certain prayer, then you'll be kind of guaranteed a space in heaven. But it was almost like we caught God on a technicality. Because even though, though, God, we were terrible people, man, God, you know, he'd made this promise to let us in. So I guess, to let us in. But with most of us, he's just kind of up in heaven, kind of shaking his head because he had such a high standard for how we should be living. And none of us could get there. And it kind of then became this reverse, you had to kind of reverse the equation by observing people's lives around you to see, well, who does God really love more? And who does God willing to help? You know, and so because I would pray for things all the time that Some of which, I mean, were like little kid prayers. God, I want a Nintendo, a Super Nintendo, you know what I mean? Or whatever. I want a million dollars or whatever. You know, those are like birthday cake wish kind of prayers. Um, And I didn't get some of those. But, uh, you know, I I guess I could kind of live with that. But there were some other things that I prayed for that were really important. God, I want to be, I want to be safe. God, I don't want to get hurt by this or this or this anymore. God my family is going through this or this or this and it's terrible can you do something about it God when i go to school this happens and i need it to stop cuz it's it's you know i wouldn't have said this as a kid but it's it's crushing me you know um god i'm lonely and i need a a friend you know and to have those prayers for very real important needs not answered, you know, you know, and, and to have them not just get immediate yeses, you know, because I was taught this idea that, you know, if you pray, God will give you what you need. And then being like, no, I need a lot of things that I don't get. So what's happening? Like either God is, doesn't exist or God does exist, but isn't involved in our lives. But I, when I go to church, I hear that when I pray that God wants to answer my prayers and that God loves me and that God's very active in us and around us and through us and stuff like that. But then why don't I get what I need? The, You know, I was raised with a religion where it was like the the problem can't be God in the end. So the problem always has to be me. You know? Um. If... What what's what's the problem with me then? What did I do wrong that I don't get what I need? What did I do wrong that life is so painful and hurtful
0: for me? Even though
1: I'm trying my best to, to live right and to follow all these rules and stuff like that, um, you just live with an overwhelming sense of, of shame <laughs> over who you are because... God must not be answering your prayers for a reason. And I would go to church and I would see other kids that had pretty good lives and had seemingly to me, you know, had families that were really happy and that, and, you know, you would hear testimonies of people who prayed for things and got what they wanted or needed in the end. And I would be like, well, okay, so the system works for them and the system doesn't work for me. So And again, the problem can't be God, so there must be something really, really wrong with me
0: that it's not working. Um, And
1: so when I would read as a good little kid Bible reader. You know, I went to Sunday school and I went to Bible studies as a youth and I tried to read the Bible as much as I could on my own and stuff like that. I would get to passages like this. And this one in particular, it just scared the hell out of me because it seems like Jesus is telling a story where he's like, well, you guys, let me teach you something about God. God is like a neighbor who doesn't want to get up at night and give you what you need. So, You just got to keep banging on that door to wake God up. Like it presents a theology where it's almost like that. Like God is a God who's sleeping somewhere and we have to wake him up, you know? And that fed into what I already was kind of receiving already. It was just like, I guess I have to figure out what I need to do to catch God's attention. I guess I have to figure out what I'm doing. That's so wrong. That's upsetting God and stop doing those things. Or I guess, Maybe I'm in the end I'm just not the kind of person that's talented or lovable enough or has the right kind of personality or, you know, something like that that can, can wake God up because I'm praying hard and I'm not getting what I need. And uh, I'm not allowed to say that God's not loving and that God's not good, so I just got to take all that in on myself, you know. Um, so I, you know, I, it, it, this passage confirmed all of my self-hatred, um, and, and I, I hated it. So whenever I got to the story, I would read it and I'd be like, well, I can't take that out of the Bible and it's just there. So this is just a story that reminds me how awful I am, you know? Um, and, and so it just frightened me because it confirmed all my fears. And I've, I lived with, along with a relationship with God where I was like, I'm always trying to constantly figure out what the secret code is to wake God up. Then two things kind of happened that kind of changed how I read this story and what I think is happening, even in the text of the story. I really don't think this is just like Kevin's interpretation of it. I think this is really what's going on. And I'm going to share um, those two things with you. So number one, I, I, one time I read Luke 11 and then I went right on and read Luke 12. And if you read those two chapters together, I'm going to try not ruin the story of Luke 12 because we're about to get there soon. But in Luke 12, Jesus continues to talk to the same audience in the same context. And he tells them a bunch of stories over and over and over again that hammer away this idea that God thinks that you are important and that God loves you. And so twice in the story, he uses this phrase, something like, You know, God thinks that you are so much more important than birds. And so Jesus continues to teach about prayer. And he says, no, not to be worried about getting the things that we need because God knows what we need and wants to take care of us. And that's still kind of challenging for a while because, you know, if we don't get what we need, we have to wonder, well, what's the problem? But at the same time, Jesus is continually hammering away this home of like, don't worry, don't be afraid, know and remember that God loves you. And because Jesus is kind of saying the same kind of message over and over and over again to his audience, eventually I started to be like, oh, what's, why does he feel like he has to say this over and over and over again? Why does Jesus feel like he has to continue to remind people that God is good? and loving. And if you think about the kind of people that were in Jesus's audience, I mean, we kind of get them just being like the crowds from these rural communities and stuff like that. Like these people were living hard lives. Like these people were taxed, I've read somewhere as like they were possibly taxed like 70, 80, 90% of their income which left them with with almost nothing. Like everyone was in poverty. Like harsh, harsh ancient world poverty at the time. And so that's why people are so attracted to Jesus when he comes around, not just because of his message, but because it's like, "Oh my gosh, it's someone who can heal my boy. I can't afford medicine." Or it's someone who can who um can can just break up bread and feed 5,000 of us. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in a few days, you know. Um like these people followed Jesus around because they were in desperate, desperate need all the time, and Jesus seems to want to hammer home a message again and again and again at them about God is good, God is loving, God thinks that you're important, you're on god's mind, and maybe he had to do that continually because Jesus knew how hard life was for these people and knew that in in light of the harsh reality that they live in that they need to hear over and over and over again. Yes. Life is hard and it's painful and I'm sorry, but don't let that make you believe that God doesn't love you and care about you and like you and want to care for you and gather you together. Like a hen gathers together. It's young, you
0: know? Um, And, uh,
1: Yeah, I think Jesus, even for me, as I read Luke 12, I had to take that along with Luke 11 and say, okay, is God the God who it's hard to wake up? Or is God the God who I'm always on his mind and I'm worth more to him than many birds is the way Jesus puts it in Luke 12. Like which God is the more true God if I take those two stories back to back. So that kind of let me at least challenge the story of Luke 11 a little bit of being like, well, what if I decide that the stories in Luke 12, because Jesus gives many more stories about how good God is than this story that makes God to seem like kind of a sleepy neighbor. What if I take those as more true? And at least let me start to circle around this parable in Luke 11 and, and ask some challenging, critical questions of it. Um, and then a the second thing came up. As I started to study the Luke, book of Luke more, I um, learned that it's like, yeah, like Jesus is speaking to a group of people at a time when things are really rough, when there's scary things happening politically and stuff like that. And then Luke writes down that story of Jesus saying these particular things as he's writing a book to give out to community of people that have just experienced like the apocalypse, as we've talked about elsewhere in this podcast. Um, You know, these are people who have lost, you know, everything. If he's writing to any people who um, have, who are Israelites or Hebrews, you know, or Jews, um, their their country has just been wiped out. Their main city has been wiped out. The temple has been torn down. If they have people, if they don't live in Jerusalem or Israel, but they have people and friends who did, like their friends and family might have been wiped out by the sword of Rome. I mean, they've lost everything and they can't go back home. It might not be safe. And I imagine as they were hearing about these things going on, these people too sat up at night and prayed over and over and over again tearfully for the protection and the care and the saving of their people. And in the end, the city got burnt to the ground and got wiped out. So Luke is writing a story about how Jesus says, you need to pray in this way like a person going and knocking on the door of their neighbor. And if it doesn't happen right away, if you keep banging and knocking, maybe you can wake up the sleepy neighbor. When when Luke is writing this, he's writing to people who have been praying for things, for good things nonstop and have not gotten what they prayed for. So somehow this story, as Jesus has both Jesus with his original audience, who he's telling the story to, Jesus is telling this story in this parable to a group of people who have prayed for good things constantly and not gotten what they prayed for. And then Luke is writing about Jesus, telling this story to a group of people who have prayed constantly and tearfully and persistently and not gotten what they prayed for. So that started to make me wonder, maybe I've been reading the story all wrong because maybe the punchline of the story is not to take the advice of, well, you just need to keep praying until you wake God up because sometimes God is sleepy and you need to catch his attention and wake up the sleeping giant in heaven. What if it's something different? What if Jesus knows that a lot of these people are going to pray persistently and not get what they ask for? And yet Jesus is here teaching them, keep
0: praying anyway.
1: What if the point of Jesus' story is less Jesus saying, Hey everyone, um, I know that you want a lot of really good things and sometimes you don't get them so you need to go wake God up so keep praying so you can get those things. What if it's really Jesus saying this? Hey
0: you guys. You, you know how sometimes you really need something and you pray for it? And you don't get it. You know how awful that
1: is. And how much that hurts inside. And how it feels like God is just a big sleepy giant up in heaven. And you can't catch his attention.
0: You know how life is like that. I'm going
1: to ask you guys when that happens. To keep praying anyway. And even if you don't get what you ask for, do not forget that you are worth more to
0: God than many birds.
1: That God loves you deeply. That God cares. And so sometimes, you guys, you can't take the feelings that we have in this moment and the tragedy that we have and make it lose sight or make that cause to lose your faith in everything about that we do also believe about God. Sometimes it's more complicated than that. Maybe what Jesus is doing here is he's normalizing these people's experience of how they've been living out their relationship with God. He's saying, you know how you pray for things and you don't get it? Yeah, I know.
0: That sucks. But don't give up on the whole
1: thing altogether. Because God cares very much about you. Um, I've been working in children and youth ministry. Mo- most of my work over the last 12 years or so has been with, with working with kids or, or youth. And something that we, we talk about it, like in those youth ministry professional circles is this idea that one of our major tasks is to normalize Things for kids, so when we talk about their journey through adolescence, we try and normalize it for them. Hey guys, this might be happening to you, and this might be and it might be awful and strange, and everything with your body and your brain and with school and with with your family and even here with church and your religion and your faith, and you know what guys, that's all normal it's it, I know that hearing that doesn't make it any easier, but know that it's not that there's something wrong with you but that that's something normal. And that's a big part of our ministry is to say, you guys, there's nothing wrong with you, that this is happening. It's part of the journey. And I wonder if Jesus is kind of taking the same task with his audience here. He's saying, I know how hard it is and there's nothing
0: wrong with you.
1: But I'm going to beg you guys to not lose hope. And to keep having faith and to keep trusting that God is there and that God is listening. Maybe the parable we don't read everything into all the characters. Maybe the the sleepy neighbor isn't even supposed to be, you know, a replacement. That's not an image of God that we're supposed to carry with us, but we are supposed to carry the image of the persistent person as an example for ourselves. And that he's not trying to teach something theological with the sleepy neighbor at all. Like maybe the parable's meaning just ends there. And Jesus is normalizing our experience for us. And when I started to read this story like that, it suddenly let me go. It was like a huge relief. Because now Jesus is actually empathizing with my experience that I had as a child, and as a teenager, and as a younger adult, and even that I still have now, when I pray for good things that I really need, and I kind of just don't get them, I can hear the words of Jesus say, hey, yeah, I know what it's like to be like a person who's banging on a door and asking for help, and to really need that help, and to feel like
0: there's no answer coming. I know, Kevin. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. The big punchline of the story of
1: Jesus is when it comes down to it, Jesus will one day towards the end of his life, he will sit and he will pray his own prayer in a garden. As he's headed towards his death, and he's going to say, God, if there's a way that I cannot have this, please, no, thank you. I don't want it to go down this way. And he prays all night, and he sweats blood, it says in some of the Gospels. He's praying so hard. And the only answer that Jesus gets to his prayer is he looks up and he sees that there's a mob with torches coming to get him. So when Jesus tells us, yeah, I know how much it hurts to have your prayers not answered, here in Luke 11, It's going to be followed later on in the story by Jesus also enduring the pain of getting his prayer for a good thing not answered. And in the end, Jesus will hang from the cross and he will cry out, my God, my God, why have you
0: forsaken me?
1: He normalizes our experience of what it's like to feel like we are forsaken and like God is asleep and we can't wake him up and to feel like God doesn't care. And yet through the midst of that, Jesus does then invite us to say, I know this is how it feels, but I'm going to try my best to continue to trust that God does care, that God is good. And then we can make it. And on the other
0: side of this, this will look different. It's a really fascinating story.
1: Um, So yeah, I wonder if that connects with you at all. I mean, maybe you're religious and you've also kind of grown up with a really warped vision of how God is or who God is or what God is like and how prayer is supposed to work and how we're supposed to relate to God. And I would invite you, To hear this story and let it let you calm and quiet those fears to the point that maybe one day you can live and walk without them and instead say, yeah, God even knows that I'm upset and I'm hurt by the fact that these prayers aren't getting answered and that some real needs I have aren't being met, but I'm going to trust that God is still good even when I don't always see it and feel it. Or maybe you're not religious. And I wonder what the what this
0: story has to speak to you. Um, I mean, how do we live in a world
1: that is kind of, we at least a lot of us believe is kind of headed towards something good. I mean, like we're, we're you know, it's the long arc of justice is kind of bending in the right direction, but it's taking a long time to get there. And no matter how hard we work, we sometimes, we can't make it happen. And no matter how hard we try, um, there's still horrible, painful things that happen in the world. And can we still maintain a belief that the world is, is a good and wonderful and beautiful place? There's just some really awful things that keep happening in it. And can we trust the best about people? To live in a way that we can continue to be merciful and loving and generous, even when we have many examples to the otherwise. Um, that's, That's really difficult. But maybe that's the only real way to live and to do good in the world, is to not ignore the bad things about it. But to just be like, yeah, life is like that sometimes, but hopefully tomorrow we'll wake up and we'll have strength once more to be who we want to be in the world, to be loving and good and to serve others, even if they don't respond the way that we want. And we might not ever accomplish what we want in the world. We might not ever wake up our neighbor, but maybe the lesson that we need to learn is that we need to keep trying, even when there's evidence in our faces that it might not work. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I'd love to hear your perspective on it. That's, that's all I have in my notes for you guys today. Um, it was great to sit down and chat with you again. Please get in touch with me, you know, um, the easiest way is through the Facebook page, but you can also shoot me an email or whatever. I'd love to hear if you're getting anything out of this podcast. Um, I know there's a lot of you listening, but I don't hear back from a lot of you guys. (laughs) Um, and uh, I'm I'm really curious. I want to hear how you're interacting with this story. I want to hear if you want to tell me that I'm wrong and that you think this podcast is awful. You know, I I want to learn from you. So please, you know, um, I don't know why you've learned to listen to so many episodes if you think it's bad, but uh, you know, maybe this is your first. I don't know. Um, so the tag is going to come up at the end with information about how you can get in touch with us. Um, please do. I'd love to hear from you. Um, it warms my heart when I he- get a message back from from any of you guys that. It could be short and simple as like, hey, I listened. And I'm like, great. I I don't know if you liked it or not, but at least I know that someone's listening out there. It's like that Mitch Hedberg joke of the guy who's, who uh, sees him in an airport. And the guy was like, hey, I saw you on Letterman last night. But the guy didn't say if I was good. So I turned away for a minute and I turned back towards him. And I said, hey, I saw you at the airport. You were good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um If you listen, you know, hit me back somehow. I'd love to hear from you, um, even if you hate it. So uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. I look forward to doing a a long episode for Luke 12 coming up this next week. Um, Be well and uh, keep knocking at any of the doors that you can. And stay merciful, you guys. Take care. I'll see you next week. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Electionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review, subscribe, and share the podcast any way you can. Um, The more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. If you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net and follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, you can also find our podcast on Facebook, and we can discuss and, and keep things going on there. Uh, just search Facebook for LoFi Electionary, and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lofi at kevinlester.net, and that's lofi with no dash. So L-O-F-I at kevinlester.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lofi kevin with no dash again. So at lofi kevin. Um, that's kind of it. So thank you for coming, and we'll see you guys next episode.
0: Thank you for listening.